Now, if you're coming tonight and you're expecting David and our continuation of our series in John's Gospel, uh, I was having a chat with David this afternoon and he is full of the cold. So he called on the B team and the B team has arrived tonight. Um, but do pray for David. Um, he is absolutely loaded with the cold and we have a busy week ahead of us. So he's hoping that just some rest today and tonight will serve him well um, as we move into next week. Also pray for Elaine. I believe her auntie passed away this weekend as well. So David and Elaine are just um, going through the mill a little bit this weekend. I'm just going to pray for them and then we'll move on into our passage tonight. Father, I just pray that you be with David and Elaine this weekend, that they are having a stressful and difficult time as a family, but also just a simple cold can make things just so much harder. So Father, we pray your healing hands be upon David so that he will be able to come and be with us this week and uh, lead our elders meeting, lead our update on the vision and be able to preach next weekend as well. Father, be with Elaine as she comforts her mum and as she um, is there as a, a family member and as someone who has also lost a part of her family. Be with her, comfort her, let her know your peace in this situation. We pray this in your name. Amen. Due to the late change, as I said, we're not looking at John's Gospel and there won't be anything on the screen, so you will need your Bibles with you to follow along. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 6, found just after Acts, and if you're using the church Bible, it's on page 1132, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6. Now, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. It's most likely written near the end of Paul's third missionary journey during his three-month stay in Greece, and we read about that in Acts chapter 20 in the first few verses. And we learn from Romans 15 that Paul had a plan, and his plan was to travel to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem he would travel to Spain. But on the way to Spain, he would stop off and pop into Rome, and he would meet the Christians there at Rome. However, as we're going to find out tonight, and at a later stage when we finish chapter 6 in Romans, that Paul was at a stage in his missionary career, if you will, a stage of change, a stage of things about to go a different direction. He was heading to Spain, a brand new place, a place where he had never been before, where very few church, if any church, had ever been set up. And Don Carson explains this change by writing, Paul believed that the work God had given him to do, to plant a strategic church through which the gospel could be proclaimed, was finished in this area. Paul was beginning to get to the thought that what God had called him to do had been completed in that one area and it was time to move on. And so we have this book or this letter to the Romans. And Paul may have written this letter for a number of reasons. I mean, just a couple that came to mind was maybe he was introducing himself. Maybe this was the uh, letter that he would send just before he would arrive so that they at least knew who Paul was. Maybe the letter was Paul nailing his colors to the mass and saying, this is my doctrinal position. This is what I'm coming to challenge you on. This is what I'm coming to speak on in the Roman church. But most likely, Paul was writing this letter because there was deep division in Rome at this time between the Jewish Christian community 
and the Gentile Christian community. In the first five chapters of Romans, Paul deals with some fairly meaty stuff which we're not going to touch on too much tonight. He clearly points out in these chapters that all need the gospel of Jesus, that even the religious Jewish community who thought they were above all equally needed Jesus, and that the sin that they so often said did not tarnish them as leaders of the Jewish community, in fact, covered all, whether Gentile or Jew. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And this is Paul talking about the Jewish community. Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Paul then points out in chapters 4 and 5 to the Jewish leaders that the law cannot save them, that only faith through Jesus will save them from an eternal damnation. Paul spends a lot of time pointing this out and a lot of time pointing out that only Jesus can save. But he also spends time pointing out that law still has principles that we can live by, still has to be honoured, but with the understanding that only Jesus saves. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on the law side of things. David's taken us through the Ten Commandments on Sunday morning, and he is handling the principles behind the law and how we can still honour them to this day. What we are going to cover tonight is sin and grace. Whether grace covers all sin and whether that then allows us to sin as we please. But to give a bit of a a kind of launching pad into chapter 6, we end chapter 5 with these words. The law was brought in so that the trespass, the sin, might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The picture Paul is painting is that as Christians, we're not going to be necessarily struck down because we sin. In fact, Paul is painting this amazing picture that as we sin, God's grace is more powerful, is far mightier, is far bigger than any sin that we can produce. And that God lavishes this grace on each one of us as we come to him. So that even in our struggles as his children, his grace covers us. And although this is a a beautiful picture now, and I hope it comforts you in your days at work and as we move into the week that God's grace covers you. The problem we find in Romans is that some of the Christians have taken this as license. That this means that if God's grace will cover everything then I can do whatever I please. If I sin more, then surely grace will increase and surely I will be safe. These Christians had no remorse and no guilt. In essence, their view was simple. God will always forgive, therefore I'll do as I please. And we're going to pick up in Romans 6 and this is Paul's response to these Christians who are using grace as license. And Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Paul's answer is fairly clear. Should we keep sinning? Absolutely not. Paul is unwavering in his response. He knows profoundly that as Christians we should not continue to sin, we should not aim to sin, and that grace is not a license to do whatever we please. And you know, in in an age in our society where people kind of flick between responses and there's a bit of wavering about what we should believe and not believe, Paul seems so adamant on his response. It calls us to think, how can he be so sure? How can he be so sure that grace is not license? How can he be so sure that we shouldn't just keep sinning? Well, with help from a renowned theologian, John Stott, I'm going to break up the next uh, 13 or so verses just into little chunks. I'm going to try and unpack how Paul can be so sure that we should not just keep on sinning. So number one, we should not continue to sin because we have died to sin. In verse 2, just read that again. By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul asks the question, if you're dead to it, then how can you live for it? Or in other words, did you really die to sin if you still want to sin? Robert Haldane explains the concept in this way. To explain the expression dead to sin as meaning dead to the influence and love of sin is entirely erroneous. Paul is not referring to a death to the power of sin, rather to a death of its guilt. You see, when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, all the sin that has been in our life, all that evil that's in our lives, we had guilt over that. We had a punishment that we were facing. And that guilt meant that we were going to be eternally in the absence of God. But in surrendering our lives to Jesus, Jesus took that guilt and he nailed it to the cross. So that we do not live in guilt any longer. Instead, the guilt of our sin has been removed. And the question really Paul is asking here is, why would you want to go back to the stage of being guilty? Why would you want to go back to such a desperate time in your life that you are guilty over that sin and face the punishment? It is illogical as a Christian that has been saved from that guilt to want to go back to that guilt. Paul starts with just the simple expression of, when you're dead to sin, you're not going to want to sin any longer. Number two, we should not continue to sin as we are baptized into Christ's death. Let's just read from verse three. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through, through, through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, as believers, our baptism shows our union with Jesus. It is especially a union over death. As we are lowered, it signifies that our old life is death. 
is died, it's gone. Our old sinful life has been crushed. And as we are raised out of the water, we join Jesus in his resurrection. We're raised into a new life. Baptism is the outward expression of us being washed, of our sins being cleaned from us. To want to sin, to use grace as a license, betrays the very nature of our faith and the expression of baptism. Our goal should not be to remain in death, but rather to focus on our true resurrection when we are promoted with Jesus to glory. You see, as we are baptized, it signifies exactly what Jesus has done for us. It signifies the death of the old life, the death to sin, the death to the want to sin, the death to the need to sin, and the increase of the desire to live for Jesus. Number three, we should not continue to sin as we know our old self was crucified with Christ. Let's carry on, verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You see that old self, picture in your mind. For some of you it's recent, for some of you it's maybe a long time ago, but picture that old self, that old wretched self, that self that was controlled by sin, that self that was filled with guilt, that self that felt empty, that self that actively hurt people around you. That self was crucified to the cross with Christ. Not only was it crucified, but it was defeated on the cross. It was crushed on the cross. It was completely done away with on the cross. And so Paul says here, you are no longer a slave to that life. It is gone. It has been crushed. It was nailed through hands and feet. Blood poured out of that life that was crushed. You do not need to be ruled by the sin. You should not want to sin in that way. Do you know, in some sense, that guilt, that old wretched life of ours faced a punishment and that punishment was death. And in some sense, part of us did die. It died on the cross with Jesus. The old life that was ruled by sin died on the cross. It was crucified, defeated, crushed on the cross. And now we have a freedom, a true freedom to live for Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Are you starting to get to the picture? Paul is barely moving at this stage in his discourse here in chapter six, but he's already got to the point of, why would you want to sin? Because that was dealt with on the cross. You are now free <clears throat> to serve your master, your creator, and the son of God. Number four, we should not continue to sin as we also live with Christ. Verse eight to 10, let's just read through. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that sin, 
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You see, just as our sin was nailed to the cross, just as our guilt was defeated and crushed on the cross, so was our life brought to a new from that death and you know the thing i love about this verse for we know that since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again you see that sinful old wretched self that we can all imagine in ourselves the people we used to be the fact that has been killed crushed and defeated on the cross It's not going to come back up and well up again and suddenly try and take a new life. It's dead. It's gone. It's buried. It's defeated by the Son of God himself. You see, sin no longer rules our life. It no longer decides what we do in life. Our master is the most powerful, risen Lord. The Son of God himself is now our master. We died with Christ. Think of baptism as we are Lord. And now, because we are raised with Christ, we can live our lives for him. Our old life is done away with in death, and our new life begins in the resurrection. Number five, we should not continue to sin, as we should live in our new life with God. Let's continue verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask the question, do you know the reality of Christ's death to sin? Of his resurrection to God? And that in both of these, we are united with Christ. Just as Jesus died, so we all died to sin. And what Paul is saying here is, live in it no longer don't look to the old life anymore don't look backwards look forwards and live for the son of god count yourself dead because when we count ourselves dead then we can truly count ourselves alive in christ jesus the reality is is we will no longer sin because why would we trade a life as a child of god for a life of sin, of death, of being defeated, of being crushed. Why would you change to that life, Paul is saying here? <clears throat> I was listening to a Casting Crown song recently, and it's just come out called One Step Away. And I was just listening to it as I was preparing this afternoon. And it says, lay down your old chains. Come now and take up your new name, your best life up ahead. You see, when we become Christians, we get rid of the old. And we take up our new name in Jesus, a child of God. And the best part of our life is ahead of us, living in service and love for Jesus. And ultimately, one day when we're in glory, being able to worship our everlasting God for eternity. That is the way we should live. 
focused on that, not on, shall we just do whatever we like because God will forgive us? Number six, we should not continue to sin. Instead, we must offer ourselves to God. Continue verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. We're starting to get to a conclusion of Paul's points here. And we already can guess that he is getting to the point that we should not sin just simply because grace will cover us. In fact, Paul goes even further this days and says we should not offer our lives to any sin. We should not offer our lives to something we have already died to. Instead, we should offer our lives to God whom we now live for. You see, now we are free from sin. We have a duty, in fact a command, to fight against it. There is nothing that will make the devil smile more than if we just sit back and go, ah, grace will cover us, we'll just, we'll just do what we like. What Paul is saying here is ultimately a call to arms, to fight sin, to say to God, I offer my life and everything I have in it, although it might not be much, for you to use in the spiritual battle against the devil. I offer up every part of my life for you to take hold of, to take grasp of, to take ownership of, so that the devil will not get into it. And you know, it doesn't matter how small a part of that life is that you won't give to God. The devil can use that for anything. Paul says, offer your whole life up to God. Romans 12 continues this argument saying, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is encouraging us here and encouraging the Jewish leaders and the Jewish community that were considering grace's license. Do not fall at this last hurdle. You know who Jesus is. You know what he has done for you. You know your position in Jesus. You know that your old self is crucified and dead. You know that you live a new life. So offer that life back to God. Offer it as a true sacrifice. God, you saved me. You dealt with the old sin. Now here's my life and do with it what you please. Finally, number seven, we should not continue to sin because sin is no longer our master. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. William Barclay wrote, to live under the law is to accept the obligation to keep it and as to come under its curse or condemnation. But to be under grace is to acknowledge our dependence on the work of Christ for our salvation. 
You see, grace doesn't encourage sin. It does the exact opposite. Grace gives us the freedom to live for Jesus, to be free from guilt, to be free from punishment, to serve our Creator. Sin is not our master any longer. I hope that encourages you. We all have struggles in our faith. We all will have times in our life where we'll feel far away from God or we'll feel in a situation that God's not there. In those moments, know this. Sin is not your master. God is. He has now got your life and all that is in it in his hands and he is in control. What the question is in verse 1 is, should we keep on sinning? Because if we keep on sinning, then grace will just keep on increasing and it will cover everything we do. And Paul is very clear in these 14 verses that absolutely not, because we are no longer slaves to that sin. It is not our master. Jesus is our true master. In Matthew 6, Jesus was speaking about the love of money. However, I believe this verse has the same principle here as we look at these 14 verses. In verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters, and this was Jesus talking about the love of money, but either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. That is the same as the Christian life. You cannot serve a master of sin and a master the son of God, because you will choose one over the other. You will love one over the other. You'll be devoted to one over the other. And the fact is, we are dead to sin. It has been crushed and defeated and is out of our lives now as something that rules our life. Our master is now Jesus. So Paul asked the blunt question of, why would you want to sin? Why would you want to use this beautiful grace that Jesus has given us to ruin that relationship? Why would you want to hurt someone that gives you that grace? And I don't know about you, there's times in your life, I'm sure, and I've found it as well, that we do things we don't want to do. We sin, and we don't want to do it. And we ask ourselves, why did I do that? Why did I wander so far away from God? And more often than not, I've found it's because I've forgotten that Jesus is my master and not the sin. That I have a choice in those moments to decide whether I will let sin rule my life or whether I'll surrender it to Jesus and say, you take control, I'm mucking this up, you need to take control here. To conclude, Paul leaves each one of us with a very demanding question. What will you choose? Will you choose to love and serve Jesus? Will you choose to offer up your life completely to him? to honor your conversion, to honor your baptism, to have your life totally in Jesus, a life that has died and has been raised with Jesus, a life that honors this cross that we focus on so much, a life that is focused on eternity, or will you choose to let the devil trick you into thinking that you can just keep on sinning and that grace will cover it? That's the question here. Ultimately, one answer will lead you to the everlasting arms of Jesus, 
to comfort and encouragement. Yes, we may have challenges, but security in knowing that our master is in control. While the other answer, in all honesty, will just lead us further and further away from those loving arms. Brandon Heath wrote a song called No Turning Back, and this is what he wrote in this song. I have decided, I called out his name. I'm following Jesus now, and he knows the way. I made up my mind, and I leave it behind. Though I may wander, and I am lost, I am not lost. So many distractions, but I look to the cross. I made up my mind, I leave it behind. You want to come with me? He loves you the same. Won't you come with me? Just call out his name. Say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I'm moving on, not looking back. I'm giving him all that I have. That is the challenge here in the first 14 verses of Romans 6. Have you given all that was before Jesus up? Have you let go of it? Do you know the reality that Jesus crushed that old life on the cross? That he buried it so that it would never come back? Do you know the reality of Jesus' resurrection that produces a beautiful grace and forgiveness that flows from it so that we can live a life in communion with our Creator, with the Son of God. Remember that these people that Paul is writing to are educated people, people that knew the Old Testament, people that heard the stories about Jesus, people that were led astray by the devil's tricks. Our challenge tonight is will we let Jesus be our master? We have a choice to make in each one of our walks. Every time an opportunity comes up to sin, we have a choice. That choice is always the same. Who is my master? Will I be ruled by this sin that is trying to entangle me and pull me away from my creator? Or will I be ruled by a God that can raise from the dead? A God that can create everything that we see? A God that even the devil trembles at when he hears his voice? A God that sustains everything in our lives? A God that would dare love us enough send a son to crucify on a cross. My prayer for you and for myself and for all those who call themselves children of God is that we don't use our grace that God has given us to just do whatever we please. But instead we take that grace and we live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus in complete surrender. Because what a beautiful thing it is when God's people follow their creator. Let's pray.
Father, it's sometimes hard to recognize the things in your Bible. We think about Rome and we think about the church there and the Gentiles and the Jews and this huge discourse that Paul gives on whether the law saves or whether Jesus saves or whether grace will cover all sins. And sometimes it's hard to look at our lives and see how it applies. But Father, we know in your words that you make it clear that you are our master. That you are in control of everything. That on the cross you defeated our sin. You defeated every power that could possibly be put towards the Son of God. And you use that power to then give us grace so that we could live for you. Father, I'm sorry if we so often forget that we are here to glorify you. Father, I'm sorry if I forget that in every minute of my life you want me to surrender to you. Father, I pray that in each one of us, when it comes to making that choice, whether we would be ruled by sin or ruled by the Son of God, that we will see the tricks and the entrapments of the devil and we will know that they are lies and we will know that you killed that part of our lives on the cross and that now we, through repentance and forgiveness, can live a life of freedom to do good, to honour you and to serve you. So Father, we pray that even in a difficult passage, in a difficult letter, that you will teach us something new. That this week, as we go about our working week or our studying week, that you remind us, I am your master. I am your creator. I died for you. I love you. I pray this in your awesome name. Amen. <clears throat> Which